Welcome to episode 48 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we'll be discussing chapters 9 through 12 of FCE's The Shadow of Kiyoshi, the second part of the Kiyoshi duology. And just to let you know, there's a good chance we'll be discussing spoilers for not only the previous book, The Rise of Kiyoshi, but also for Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. However, you will be free from any spoilers regarding Avatar Universe comic books. So Andre, how are we doing today? We're doing pretty good. It's an early Saturday morning recording. Um, And yeah, it's been a pretty long week. And it's also been a very hot week. I am so ready for fall at this point. I am over this. And I am just ready to move on into spoopy season. (laughs) I have a, a, a shared... Amazon wish list with my boyfriend of Halloween decorations and I'm just I'm a slut for Halloween y'all I am so so ready I love Halloween Halloween's the best is like the best time it of year is. I'm hoping that I really want to go to like my local gay bars uh, Halloween party this year because I missed it so much last year yeah like Halloween's the best time of year you know I like Christmas and all don't get me wrong you know I like my presents and I like hanging out with my family and all that good stuff but Halloween is gay Christmas everybody knows that Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Like, yeah. it just is. It's the best time of year. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, however, I will say I'm not entirely looking forward to the fall because fall eventually means winter and that means seasonal depression. So, like, <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy my sunshine and vitamin D, not that I go out often. <laughs> weird. It's weird for me because my my seasonal depression happens in the summer. Interesting. I don't know why. And mine kicks in during the winter really bad. Uh <laughs> On top of my regular depression, we had seasonal depression. Like just, it's like an extra seasoning. Ah, seasonal depression seasoning. Get it? <sighs> anyway, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? Because we're getting very, very vulnerable on this podcast today. But yeah, how are you doing? Other than that, Kayla? Oh, I'm fine. Honestly, I'm I'm doing pretty well. Things considered, uh, my air conditioning finally decided to actually work properly. Not that it was really broken, because my apartment's like I could still hear the air conditioning running, but yeah. like it was never really cool in my apartment. Until last night when I get home from the, you know, from my local gay bar and it's like the fucking, you know, Antarctica in there. Oh God. Like, you know, I said it like I was like like a few days ago, I said it the air conditioning to like 50 degrees because I was just like so hot in that apartment. It was like yeah. 80 outside and like 70 something inside. So I just set the air conditioning to like 50 something, not thinking it was actually going to get that cold. And it's cold. I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a robe right now on top of my pajamas. I haven't worn you know long like pants pajamas since you know probably february so it was was nice to get cozy though it's better to be cold in the summer than hot so true we'll take it we'll take it true absolutely all right moving on into our news section we had actually a pretty big piece of news we've been blessed by the news gods these past couple of weeks seriously uh we officially have a main cast and announced creative team for netflix's live action last airbender series Albert Kim, who is best known for Sleepy Hollow and Nikita, has been selected as the showrunner and central writer and executive producing. Um, He said his daughter got him into the world of The Last Airbender in a recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter. We'll get to his little bit of a statement later. Um, In terms of the cast, we got our main four core casted at this point. So we have Gordon Cormier of The Stand and Two Sentence Horror Stories. He will be playing Aang. Kaya Wencho Tarbell of Rutherford Falls will play Katara. Ian Owsley of Physical will play Sokka. And finally, Dallas Liu of Xiangqi will play Zuko. Um, and good news, we have a cast that is a- actually ethnically accurate and culturally yeah. accurate, correct? 
Like we have indi- actually indigenous actors and Asian actors playing indigenous and Asian characters. Oh yes. my god! Oh, they learned their fucking lesson. Another and Netflix did the you know other Netflix and um, whatever studio put on uh, the last Airbender movie. Uh, Paramount Studios. Okay, fine. Well, Paramount, Paramount Studios. Paramount Studios. <laughs> Shaking the fist at the sky. How many times has we teased you this lesson, old man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was always confident that Netflix was going to cast appropriately because I don't think they could survive the backlash of it. Like, remember all those rumors about, like, what they were going to do with the cast and stuff like that? And now we finally have news. Yeah. That stuff. I mean, let me tell you guys, this, like, hearing crap about the casting news for months like uh, from like all these sources it's gotten people all riled up like oh my god they're gonna age up the actors oh my god they're gonna age up the characters blah 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 like all this stuff's gonna be dark and gritty and like <sighs> that gave us such a headache when I like ever that yeah. and I would cycle every like I don't know like once a month or something it would be some bit of news to get everybody into a frenzy and then we have to be like guys basic media literacy skills here and then we finally get something from an actual source uh you know actually like credible reliable source like the hollywood reporter yeah i remember there was a solid week of a certain part of the fandom who shall remain unnamed just like completely talking the thing about like Sokka being older or uh katara being older than Sokka. And it was like the end of the fucking world. I was like, y'all, again, we don't know if this is true, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there are some things we did talk about um, the Albert Kim situation uh, a couple of episodes ago in season two. Um, and that came from an unofficial source. So there are, so sometimes it comes out correctly. Sometimes it's not accurate. You know, it's, yeah. we don't really you know. You gotta be critical of what you, you, the biggest thing is that you gotta be critical of what you're consuming. You right. know, you gotta, like, you, you really gotta double check your sources. Maybe I should do a media literacy, like a brief media literacy course for <laughs> Avatar fandom. It'll be a Patreon benefit. <laughs> there you go. I'll, yeah. I'll use my, I'll put my journalism degree to good use. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But yes, good news. They didn't whitewash the cast. Um, Albert Kim, the showrunner, just uh, said in the Hollywood Reporter article, this is a chance to showcase Asian and indigenous characters as living, breathing people. Not just a cartoon, but in a world that truly exists, very similar to the one we live in. So we also had this interesting bit to say as well, which is that Netflix's format means that we had an opportunity to reimagine a story that had originally been told in the self-contained half-hour episodes as an ongoing serialized narrative. That meant story points and emotional arcs we loved in the original can be given even more room to breathe and grow. Yeah, so this this was interesting because it it more or less confirmed that so we're probably going to get like hour-long episodes um probably get my, maybe like 12 episode seasons and that there, there will be changes with a capital c and i just want to let everyone know that it's okay there are there are inevitably going to be changes from the very beginning i'm curious to see what they decide what they deem certain story points and emotional arcs to warrant like more time with you know what i mean um i'm interested to see like what parts of the story get stretched what parts get maybe shortened or just get cut out completely and i'm not i mean i'm not condemning netflix at all at this point i'm if i'm any if anything i'm a little more comfortable with the series moving forward the cast was the big thing i was really really concerned about the cast um and also of course Brike leaving but 
it looks like Albert Kim, from his statement, which you can read just pretty much anywhere, we we got his statement from The Hollywood Reporter, but it seems like from his statement that he really, truly loves the original series. And I hope that that translates into, I'm not going to say a faithful adaptation. I'm going to say an adaptation that cares about the integrity of Avatar as a series because it's so easy to get Avatar wrong and there will inevitably be things that they fuck up but I also think there will be things that they do really well or might even improve upon you know because the show is at this point 15 16 years old you know there could be some things that could use some updating Um, and we tell stories very differently from how we tell stories 15 years ago so I'm interested to see what they got going on in this reimagined story of Avatar. We also asked some listeners on social media what they thought uh, specifically about the casting. And here's what some people had to say. Um, someone said, just hope they keep this Asian indigenous representation up at listeners around Asian culture, belie- culture slash beliefs and putting white people in there just won't make sense. LOL. I agree. Um, our friend of the pod, the Wiz Philly, um, he said it's better than the one we talked about, referring to us guesting on his podcast talking about The Last Airbender. Um, someone said, honestly, glad they didn't whitewash them again. Agreed. We're all agreed. Um, and someone else said, absolutely love it. Not only an Asian and indigenous rep, but they all seem to suit their roles so well if their posts are anything to go by. I agree. And also, most of the, the cast for these core four are also... Pretty accurate with the ages. Gordon Cormier and Kaya Wenshow are 12 and 14, respectively. I think Ian Ousley is a little older than when Sokka's meant to be. Same thing with um, Dallas Liu. But, you know, they if they can make it work, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight with them over it. But, yeah. Yeah. So we actually had a lot more to say on this subject and wanted to devote a proper amount of time to it. Um, so if you'd like to hear Kayla and I's full thoughts on this... We released an episode of Avatar After Hour on our Patreon, uh, specifically talking about this piece of breaking Avatar news, and that is available at the $5 Air Acolyte level, so if you are interested in our thoughts further, uh, definitely go and check that out. Alrighty, let's get into Shadow of Kiyoshi. We're going to start with Chapter 9, The Crash, assuming that it means Yun has crashed the party. So Yun has the entire party held hostage. Um, he's bent all of their legs into the ground so they can't move. Kiyoshi is like kind of frozen. She doesn't really know what to do with the situation. Rangi, of course, is trying to diffuse the tension as she's like slowly putting herself between Yun and the Fire Lord because that's like her top priority right now. We have no idea what Yun is about to do. Kiyoshi, on the other hand, is again at a complete loss. And when Rangi is like, Kiyoshi, do something. Like she's like fumbles with her fans and like she's really like off her game with Yun because it's it's a weird situation for her. She doesn't really want to attack him, but she knows that she has a whole 500 people party of hostages Ooh. that she has to take into account. And Yun even says um, he was talking about the differences of people in the Fire Nation and people in the Earth Kingdom because when he said he came in and demanded them all to be hostages, everyone just obeyed it and he thought it was funny. So it's like, it's a really weird... It's almost like Joker-esque the way Yun has these people hostage, you know? It's like very... I can't even think of that. He's very nonchalant about it. He doesn't really care about the people. Sadistic. Yeah, sadistic is a good word for it. Sadistic and twisted, you know? Especially because we knew, especially like, I mean, kind of like how Kiyoshi did, we knew Yun, you know, Yun in the first, uh, you know, Rise of Kiyoshi book. We got to know him. We got to like him. 
And that makes this scene all the more painful. And also the fact that, like, we hadn't heard Yen speak since he was taken, you know, at the beginning of Rise of Kiyoshi. Like, he right. didn't talk right. in the end of, uh, you know, at the end of Rise of Kiyoshi. So, you know. I will say, I'll, I'll counter your point to say that we knew him when he thought he was the Avatar. Yeah, exactly. So, so now it's Great like a point. question of how much of this is Yun and how much of this is the spirit that's possessing him. Good point. You know. Good point. Yeah. So, um, uh, I was gonna say Katara. <laughs> Wrong time period. <laughs> yeah. Kiyoshi goes to attack Yun, and Yun like starts playing with her and like asks her if this is what he deserves for killing Jinji for her. And of course, this like sets Kiyoshi off a little bit. Kiyoshi then asks him what he wants, and Yun whispers that all he wants is justice, and that everyone who lied to him is going to suffer the consequences. Um, and then he does something interesting. Yun then uh, places his hand on the grass, feeling the guards surrounding the party. And I was like, oh, that's like what Toph does. Yeah. So it's cool to see that this technique was actually uh, around long before Toph was. That this was maybe even a common technique at one point with Earthbenders. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if we might see Kiyoshi do the same. I don't know. We'll find out. And he says uh, he expected faster reactions from the Fire Nation's best. He tells her it's time he paid respects to his old Sifu and he dives into the ground. Kiyoshi then soon realizes that Yun intends to go after Heiron. So she tells Rangi and Rangi is essentially like blasting her way through the palace. Um, and K- Kiyoshi's just trying to catch up to her as they like book it to Heiron's room to try to get there before Yun does. Um, the blast doors open to find Heiron, Jimpa, and Achuat just having tea, just completely oblivious to what's going on. Achuat's like, mm-hmm. "What are you doing? You could have killed us." Um, and then they tell him, they tell the party of of Yun, you know, crashing the the party and being in the palace. And Heiron has a very interesting action where she just kind of closes her eyes and waits. Um, and of course, Achuat doesn't really know who this is. Jimpa is surprised that he decided to show up in the Fire Nation. But out of all the people, Heron's reaction is is very very interesting. Um, yeah, which we'll explore a little more in the next in the, section. In the next couple of chapters. Yeah. Um, and so after waiting for him, uh, they hear a scream coming from the portrait gallery, and Kyoshi goes to investigate and finds Yun standing over Lu Beifong's dead body. Uh, Yun explains that without Lu Beifong's support, Jinji would never have been able to declare him as the Avatar, and that was and that it was also his fault for what happened to their friendship. Um, Kiyoshi is trying to reason with him, saying that Heiron is Rangi's mother and that Rangi is her friend, is their friend. Um, but Yun simply states that there is a price for justice and that he plans to kill Heiron by the end of the holiday. Interesting that he says there is a price for justice because that's a very Kiyoshi thing to say as well, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Very, very interesting. Like holding up a mirror to her, you know? Mm-hmm. So just then, Dayrin comes in with a contingent of Fire Nation soldiers. Uh, the captain orders Yun to stand down, stating that he has nothing to bend. Oh my and god! And then Yun <laughs> does something absolutely terrifying but badass at the same time. It's, it was cool but scary. It's scary. Yeah. So Yun, he's just like, "Are you sure about that?" And he like raises his hands, and all of the paint from the paintings of the Fire Avatars, because they're Earth-based pigments. They start seeping from the wall, from the walls, and from the canvases. Man, I would want to see this. Uh, yes, I was like, "Oh, what would this look like?" And I was, I was telling people in in my house like about this, like because everyone <laughs> had already watched Avatar, but they hadn't read the the novels. I was like, "Guys, there's this scene 
where someone paint bends or like pigment bends or something. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's really, really cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, like such a fan. <laughs> kind of, I don't know. This whole thing kind of reminds me a little bit of like, um, it has vibes of like Darth Vader in the hallway as well. I know we keep comparing like badass scenes to Darth Vader in that hallway. Yeah. But, you know, kind of like, you know, we compared Kiyoshi to that. But like this, I mean, especially like, more particularly, like any scene in the movie in a movie where, like, you know, we got you surrounded. There's no way out, and it's like, eh, actually, well, actually, yeah, kind of that thing. Um, but like, I mean, Darth Vader has this one moment in the comics where it's like, uh, someone says, like, you're surrounded, you have nowhere to go. He's like, all I'm surrounded by is fear and dead men, and then kills them all. Badass. So that's basically what happened here. <laughs> that I was, I was gonna say, this reminded me of that scene in Thor Ragnarok where, um. Hella is like in the courtyard surrounded by all of those guards. Yeah. And she just fucking takes them out all at the same time. I that's what it reminded me of. But Yun takes a, a, a less direct approach with this. So he he bends all the pigments off the paintings. And of course, Chancellor Darren and even everyone else in the room with the Fire Nation soldiers are just losing their minds because they're this gagged. is they're gagged, <laughs> gooped, and and whatever. And because because they're this is a destruction, a direct assault on their culture all the, mm. like we already set up how important these paintings are i can only imagine their reaction to like the fire lord paintings kind of like being done the same thing and avatar too because i think that there was that there's an avatar painting that also melted well it, it was, yeah it was, the was all the avatar melt. it was all the yeah, fire right. avatars and mm. they especially lost it when avatar zato's painting was was yeah. but this is like a it's also a big fuck you to the avatar in general and I think mm-hmm. it's like very uh, obvious what Yun is trying to say, you know. So he he bends all the pigments into this ball, and then he hurls the ball of paint like into the floor. It shatters everywhere. Um, Kiyoshi like shields her eyes, but she feels like a chunk of paint hitting her, and it knocks her back. And when she recovers, Yun has disappeared. So that's a lot. Chap- that's chapter yeah. nine, the crash. Let's move on to what happens after chapter ten, the aftermath. Um, and needless to say, said aftermath is not pretty. Um, everyone in the vicinity of that paintball that was crashed on the floor is either killed or injured. Um, Achuat is on the scene and she's like triaging people. Um, and she's picking and choosing who is worth saving and who is not, who is too far gone. Kiyoshi is trying to keep Chancellor Damon alive, but Achuat just looks at him and is like, he's too far gone. It's, it's, it's over. Um, and this shocks Kiyoshi because she, she, is like kind of taken aback by like how quickly Atuat is just like picking these people who deserve to live and who deserve to die, you know. Um, that's much like deserve to live. It's just like what has like what has like the least amount of damage, you know? Like what like what is possibly salvaged because there's yes, only so to, many people. But to her, it's it's Atuat choosing who 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 dies and who lives. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Atuat's not really thinking that. She's like, who can I save in this moment and who I cannot? Who, where am I gonna like expend my energy? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And then, this is also something really interesting, but I'm not quite sure what's going on, but Kiyoshi notices how cold Atuat has made the air and asks what she is doing. Atuat explains that she is lowering the body temperature to postpone death, a method that must be stopped at the exact right time, or else she could turn um, the person's organs to ice. And I was like, isn't this like an airbender move? I thought this is what airbenders did. Hmm. Because they can control the the temperature of the air, but I mean, there's wa- there's water vapor in the air. That's true. So there's that too. Um, but there's, there's it's an interesting crossover, don't you think? Yeah, 
Definitely. It's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like the pigment bending we just saw. It's, are we going to call it uh, paint bending, pigment bending? Which one sounds ink bending? Personally, I just say paint bending. I think paint bending sounds more cool. Plus, it's, you know, it is it is correct. It is paint. Yeah. They just have like earth in the paint. Yeah. So. But even that is like, it's it's almost like a crossover between earth and water. You know? And a little bit of like what we see with like metal bending in the Korra series, you know, with like when you see, for example, like when Korra fights Kuvira, you can see her using water bending techniques, liquefying the metal. And right. Like, like that. yeah. Yeah. Using the metal as a liquid, too. Yeah. So that's it's a really interesting crossover of, of bending techniques. And I'm wondering if she even learned the technique from an airbender, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kiyoshi asked Etchwet whether she can teach her how to do this technique because uh, Kiyoshi has very rudimentary skills when it comes to healing. She can do like a lot of surface stuff, but not really go in and fix things. Um, and Achua just says that she is able to teach healing better than most other teachers, but whether that person is capable of learning it is a separate issue. Meaning, are you willing to learn this or and, and know that you are going to fail, or are you not ready to, to, to face that part of yourself? That's at least how I read it. She's, she's basically yeah. saying, I can only teach people who are, are, are um, who realize that mistakes will be made along the way and are not afraid of making those mistakes that's what mm-hmm. i'm kind of learning well, from that. she is a she is a doctor anyone getting into the medical field you know some people might think you know like going in they're not quite aware of some of the tough dishes, decisions that they'll have to make in that particular line of work you know right. kind of like like what Achua was doing like you know even the cases of like where there's like you know a big accident or you know unfortunately like a mass shooting or something if you bring people into the trauma unit, you know, there's varying degrees of injury. Yeah. And so bad, tough choices have to be made in those cases. And people who get into the medical field, into the healthcare field. And of course, you know, that is incredibly difficult thing to do. And, you know, we appreciate all who all of our healthcare workers out there, but they have to make some tough decisions. And even with the COVID-19 pandemic, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. they've had to make some really, really difficult decisions on like, especially because the like, hospitals are, reaching capacity or already at capacity, you know, having to take care of a lot of people of varying degrees of... And turn people away. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So... Kiyoshi is then summoned to the Fire Nation throne room and Zoryu asks her why no one told him that Yun was alive and why he attacked the palace. Um, if we remember last... Uh, it was like chapter 8. Kiyoshi was trying to figure out a way to tell Zoryu that Yun was still alive after he told her about how they used to play Pai Show together and how close they used to be. Um, Kiyoshi answers that Yun was repaying the people that had wronged him by telling him he was the avatar, such as Heiron and Lu Beifong. Zoryu asks for the number of casualties, and uh, Kiyoshi informs him that she knows of four, though many are currently in critical condition. So, and of course, Zoryu is just like, oh my god, another thing that I have let happen as my as like during my era of being the Fire Lord. And of course, for some reason, Chajin is there and he comments that the loss of the Chancellor and foreign nobleman uh, is, tra- is very tragic. Um, but he doesn't mention anything about the two killed guards. He or she like <clears throat> foregoes any Fire Nation manners and snaps at him asking why is she why is he even there? And of course, this doesn't phase him. He tells her that he is there to represent the Fire Sages and also comment on behalf of the Salwan clan. He suggests that since the Earth Kingdom has just dishonored them, the Fire Lord must retaliate. Um, And I'm like, oh my god, the Fire Nation is always ready to go to fucking war over everything. Literally, shut the fuck up, Chajin. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Shut up. Literally. (laughs) 
Um, Kiyoshi argues that the Earth Kingdom did not send Yun to attack the palace, and Chaijin agrees and tells her that he has just spent the last 20 minutes convincing, convincing the court that the Earth Kingdom is not responsible. And then Kiyoshi's like, what, what is he on about? She asks the Fire Lord for permission to speak to Chaijin alone, and Zoryu agrees. So they go off into this hallway, and Chaijin apologizes for his brother's inability to lead during stressful situations. Kiyoshi comments on how alike the two brothers are, despite having two different mothers. Uh, Chaijin informs her that he has been told that he could serve as a political decoy for the Fire Lord. Kiyoshi says that Zoryu has disappointed her, so perhaps he should instead serve as Chaijin's uh, replacement. Chaijin tells her that if Zoryu is not able to bring Yun to justice, then the clans will decide he is not fit to be Fire Lord. And again, this is the moment I'm like, what is up with these clans? I don't know what, what the power dynamics are here. Like, And I was just like, wow, what's going on? Kiyoshi then asks what would happen in that circumstance, and Chaijin answers that he would be replaced and even most likely killed. Um, and even says that fire lords who are uh, who abdicate from the throne don't tend to last long. And I'm like, what is that? Why are they being killed after they abdicate the throne? What's going on? Probably oh, because so this is not something something toxic masculinity, uh, something something <laughs> like, uh, you know, is it like a national security risk where people are just like, well, they don't have any protection now, and you know, I uh, my crops were ruined. He's a coward. So yeah, or he's a coward. I'll go kill this man. Probably a combination. I wonder, yeah. And I, I assumed, like, as, you know, uh, like everything else in the Fire Nation, I'm assuming that abdicating as Fire Lord is also considered a great dishonor. Yeah. You know, the same way if you, like, overcook rice, it's a great dishonor in the Fire Nation or something. Um, <laughs> Kiyoshi suggests that Zoryu being replaced by a more competent leader might be for the best, and then whispers in his ear that, as the Avatar, she is willing to work with someone other than Zoryu. Chajin smiles and says that it sounds like he could count on Kiyoshi if such a thing was to happen. LOL. Um, Kiyoshi asks Chajin how he plans to solve the country's poverty once it becomes Fire Lord. And I'm, I'm just loving this interrogation. And Chajin is like, oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's gonna, it, It'll resolve itself once I become Fire Lord. And then Kiyoshi asks if that means that once Chajin becomes Fire Lord, the Fire Nation will finally prosper and order will be restored on its own. And Chajin is like, yes, like, you get it. Like, finally, someone else gets it. Um, and he even says that he's willing to shed blood to get what is rightfully owed to him. And then he starts realizing what's happening and asks Kiyoshi if she is playing him. She says that she's not playing games. She is instead forming an opinion. And she remembers in that moment what Lauga has told her to do to power-hungry, corrupt men like Chajin. Um, Wink, wink. Chajin senses a change in her demeanor and defends himself by claiming that nothing he said to her will hold up in court since she is an outsider. And Kiyoshi admits he is right and she will need to get more dirt on him eventually. Chajin then warns Kiyoshi that Yun's attack will cause Zoryu's downfall if he fails to deliver justice and all the Avatar will be able to do is postpone the inevitable. And in that moment, Kiyoshi then ultimately resolves that if she is to find peace in the Fire Nation and if she is going to protect Heron, she must find Yun. And that is the end of chapter 10. All right. So we will be back with chapter 11 after we take a quick break. We'll see you then. Hey, everyone. Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with more of our recap of The Shadow of Kiyoshi with Chapter 11, The Ritual. 
So after having a hard time going to sleep last uh, the night before because, well, obvious reasons, Kiyoshi is summoned for breakfast the next morning with Rangi and Heiron. And at the table, Rangi is like watching Kiyoshi eat because <laughs> Jinpa told her she's not taking care of herself. So Rangi's like, well, clearly you're not going to take care of yourself unless someone's like staring at you while you eat. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> That made me laugh. Um, but basically, their breakfast conversation waters down to what they're going to do with the whole yin situation. Shit's hit the fan in like, you know, there's lockdowns. There's like all of this stuff. They're all discussing whether that whether Yun is possessed and start looking into Father Glower and see if they know anything yeah. about him. And uh, Kiyoshi hasn't found jack shit, by the way, in the library from Jinju's library is like at all. So they're just they have like very little leads. Uh, however, Heiron points out she does know an f- old friend of Kurok's in North Chungling, which is an uh, island not too far from there, who was a former fire sage and an expert in spiritual things. Uh, Rangi is at, as soon as it, like, Rangi's like, oh, fuck, no, we're not going no. there, kind of like vibe about that island because then she's like, well, why can't we go to the real fire sages? And apparently, the Say One clan controls the fire sages, which we've seen, uh, especially with, you know, you know, Ch- you know, Chajin and all that stuff. Oh my God. Kiyoshi and Rangi then get into an argument on whether, you know, whether Young can be saved or redeemed. And Kiyoshi is convinced that he's possessed, but Rangi is not convinced of this after what happened the night before. And they need to take him as a threat and anything otherwise would be stupid. Like he needs a threat. We need to take him as such. Rangi then starts pacing and wonders out loud how he's be able, how he was able to pull off that plan last night. Was able to you know sneaking into the Fire Nation capital, into the palace, into a big ass party with a bunch of nobles. How he's able to get past the guards, all of that stuff. Like she referred to him as like a diplomat and a talented earthbender, but not a killer. And then Heron's like, well, well <laughs> actually, oh, he funny is. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> And then she proceeds to detail how when Jinju first found Yun that he was afraid that spies and assassins would come after him and all that stuff. Uh, so he hired Amok, who is an assassin, or was an assassin because that man's dead now, uh, to protect himself. He's also the poison teacher mm-hmm. as well. And Yun, as it turns out, was really good at this stuff. So y'all are kind of fucked. Uh, Rangi is absolutely appalled by this because, you know, even though like she compromised her honor with letting Kiyoshi work with the Daofei, this is a line that she would never cross. Yeah. And she's furious at this point and tells her mother that she turned Yun into a monster. And she doesn't just flip a table, guys. She throws it off the fucking balcony and storms out. Queen shit. Queen shit. Yeah. <laughs> Could have killed somebody, but queen shit. Exactly. After Rangi leaves, Heron says that it basically answers Kiyoshi's unspoken question of whether Kelsong knew and he didn't know because he would have said something about it. Right. He would have confronted the group about it. Uh, so that's just an extra layer of shittiness to this whole situation with Yun. Um, and so Kiyoshi goes out to find Rangi and finds that she is in uh, the stables after being told by Jinpa. Uh, and he's <laughs> he tells her, can you just make sure that uh, Rangi look pissed? Can you make sure she's actually like not going to like rip the fur off my bison by brushing yeah. her? Like, can Check. Kiyoshi then enters the stable to find a half-brushed Yang-Yang and Rangi is crying. Um, she then asks Kiyoshi why she allowed Yun to escape, especially when she was that close. They go back and forth on the issue of dealing with Yun again uh, until Kiyoshi asks Rangi if she should have murdered their friend in cold blood like she did with the leader of the Yellow Necks back in Rise of Kiyoshi. Yeah. And then Rangi says that she'd be, she's just terrified that Yun would hurt her, hurt Kiyoshi. And if she hadn't convinced her to wear her armor, she would have been badly injured because remember, she like was hit by the paint. Right. 
And Kiyoshi promises her girlfriend that she'll do anything she needs to against Yun, whatever she needs to against Yun to prevent him from hurting anyone else again, especially Rangi's mother. Can I also point out how FC is like referring to Rangi as Kiyoshi's girl? Yeah. Like her girl. I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's her girl. <laughs> Rangi admits that she thought that once her mom started to recover in Northern Water Tribe, she thought they could finally move on from the past. Um, but clearly the past is a way of coming back to haunt them. After some silence, Kyoshi then tries to change the mood by bringing back, like, girl, you threw a table over a balcony. And, like, Rangi just starts laughing. She's like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And then she's like, well, it looks like I'm not the only one with the worst manners between the two of us. And, by the way, I'm never going to let you live that down. And they have this really sweet romantic moment where Rangi asks her if by never she means for the rest of their lives. And yes, they do kiss. I'm like, <gasps> like that. <laughs> just I love these moments with when, it, when it's just them. It's just so touching. It's so sweet. Like, oh my God, my heart. And then moment, romantic moment is interrupted by the Fire Lord entering the stables. Um, so great. Great job, buddy. He then apologizes for his lack of leadership from the night before that caused Chaijin to take charge. And he explains and he tells them that the only way that they can up, prevent uprising against him is to capture Yun. And Kiyoshi agrees and offers to track down Yun for him. I, I meant to bring this up in the last chapter, but I unfortunately see... I'm going to make another prediction. I unfortunately see what Kiyoshi is trying to prevent actually happen. Yeah, I think I do. I do think Chajin is going to replace Zoryu because that is just I think I think they're trying to lead into like the Fire Nation starting their their decline into corruption, into and imperialism. I, yeah. And I think that Kiyoshi is going to have to contend with that, you know? Yeah. I also want to point out that, like, you can literally see this happening with the island later, but I'll we'll, we'll get to that detail in a minute. Um, but yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I was like, We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> uh, Zoryu says, uh, yeah, thanks them and says, that, you know, oh, by the way, I have another reason for coming here. And then he reveals that, hey, Ron and Achu, I want to see him, them. Rangi is still pissed at her mother and rightfully so. Um, and she asks her mother what she wants. And then hey, Ron then kneels to the ground and pulls out a sharp knife uh, and realizes what her mom's about to do. Rangi begs for her mother to stop. But hey, Ron insists this is a necessary consequence for her past mistakes. She calls Achuet as her second and the Fire Lord as her witness, and she proceeds to cut off her top knot after listing all of her mistakes, including, you know, not being worthy of her daughter's trust. Mm. And she cuts off her top knot, which is like, I mean, that is a huge deal in the Fire Nation. Like, yeah. it's something, only a sign of major dishonor. And yeah, like, I mean, everyone can see your shame. Like, it's that bad. So. She then tells Rangi that their family's honor now rests solely with her, which of course pisses her off because I mean, now yeah, she no can't pressure. like yeah she, and a because of the pressure and b because like now she can't technically hold her mother's mistakes over her head when she atoned so publicly for her sins, you know, yeah, or you know seeking atonement with her sins so publicly, like she was willing to basically degrade herself for that to like kind of win kind of try to get Rangi's trust back right I was gonna say do you think she's doing this like on principle of like the dishonor thing or you think she's doing it to try to gain favor with Rangi and Kiyoshi or maybe both I'm honestly gonna have to go with both here I think it's this is a 50 50 thing um but isn't that it's a weird paradox because isn't isn't like pretending to do this because you're ashamed of your dishonor dishonorable yeah so it's like dishonor so, on top of dishonor on top of dishonor <laughs> yep 
So I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird double-edged knife. Yeah. I, guess. I don't know. Well, we'll have to, I mean, I'm interested in seeing more about Hayron's development because we're getting a lot more about her in this book. So, which actually I quite like. I actually quite like how much we're, yeah. we're getting of Hayron because we, I mean, all we got was actually very much kind of what we got from Kiyoshi before we started reading Rise of Kiyoshi, right? Like this is mm-hmm. like the fearless like leader of the academy, and now we get to see her like this, like actually she's, she's just another vulnerable person with a lot of mistakes and a lot of insecurities, you know, mm-hmm. like a normal yeah. person. Yeah. And that seems to be a, a theme, honestly, through through the book so far. I mean, it's the same thing with like the Fire Lord, you know, because we we imagined him to be like like Fire Lord's past, maybe not as corrupt as the ones we've known. But, you know, like a, a you know, a, like a very powerful person. But instead we get a very nervous, insecure person about his leadership in being able to lead the Fire Nation, you know. So, I yeah, it's like it's maybe it's that we're uncovering people's shadows <laughs> yeah Ooh. so stupid sorry <laughs> roll credits <laughs> so Heron just moves right on to business after basically like it's like a, self, a form of self-flagellation let's be honest with cutting off her top knot yeah um moves right on to business after all of that and tells them that it's time for them to get ready to go to north chungling because they're going to go hide out there because you know it's safer for Heron to be on the move when yun's after her and of course kiyoshi will also be getting spiritual guidance at the same time so it's a win-win two birds one stone um, Heron then notices Yin Yang's fur for being, you know, not properly brushed and scolds Rangi for it. After the others leave, Heron uh, is alone with Kiyoshi and then tells her that cutting her off her top knot won't be enough to satisfy Yun and he will strike again. And Heron admits that Rangi might think that this mission is going to keep her mother safe, but actuality, Heron's using herself as bait to draw Yun away from the palace. Which does not bode well for Heyron's character, I am sad to say. <laughs> yeah. Mm. She literally straight up says that she wants to lure Yun in and sacrifice herself so that Ky- Kiyoshi can stop him. Uh, like, And what if Kiyoshi doesn't? That's the thing. I hope, yeah. it, I hope it doesn't... I mean, it's... I mean, I'll be, I'll be fine with it, but I hope it doesn't turn into a thing where Heyron dies and... Rongi blames Kiyoshi for it. I'm as, I, I'm like seeing I, that, that as her like me. I'm seeing that as her like her initial reaction, and they'll have to work on that. But yeah, that's kind of a, that's but, gonna uh, break but this, this I made <laughs> I've made predictions like this in the past just based on like other books and and shows and movies. But FC always seems to take it in another direction. So yeah, we'll see how we'll it goes. Find out. I mean, Kiyoshi then tries to say, "Well, Rongi's not gonna let this happen," and then Heyron says, "No, no, no, no. Now I have no honor." So. I will not need to be avenged for this. Um, which, knowing how Rongi is, she will not care about her, you know, mother's lack of honor. She'd still. Yeah. I think she would. And Heron agrees that she deserves to die. She thinks she deserves to die for what she's done. She hopes that her sacrifice will balance out the sins of the past. She asks Kiyoshi if she will do what must be done in this case. And now Kiyoshi hates that because she's caught in the middle of her girlfriend and her girlfriend's mother. But Heyron accepts Kiyoshi's silence as an answer. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because Rangi's going to be like, why didn't you tell me my mother was trying to be bait? You know, like mm-hmm. the moment secrets are starting to develop, I'm just like, oh, it's going to blow up at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that ends, the, that ends the first chapter of this section. Um, you know, doing what must be done again. Thinking about that kind of common theme. What- yeah must be done mm-hmm. you know 
Well, let's move on to chapter 12, the fire sage. As they fly out to North Chungling, it sounds like Kyoshi's noticing how much faster it is to travel through the Fire Nation versus the Earth Kingdom because, you know, it's a little smaller and also you're flying over a bunch of islands as opposed to a bunch of different kinds of terrain in the Earth Kingdom. For me, right. it's like, I kind of compare this to like driving home, like through most of my driving back to New Jersey. Like it's like driving through Maryland is like the longest stretch of the trip. It's like... Uh-huh three, four hours, and it's, like, just the same terrain. Um, and then I get through Delaware and New Jersey, it's, like, two seconds, and then I'm home. Like, yeah. so, versus that. Um, but, anyway, so they reach North Chungling, and they land uh, Yingyang, and uh, Rongi gets scolded by her mom. Uh, for how she um, lands. <laughs> for how she lands and where they chose to land. Um, Kyoshi just takes Rongi by the hand, pull, gently pulls her away. It's like, okay, I'm gonna go go. We're gonna go scout. Uh, some we're gonna go scout the area and all that stuff. But when they're alone, Rangi is telling her how frustrating it is to be traveling with her mother, and she feels like she's twelve again. And honestly, that's everyone trapped going on family vacation with it, except this family vacation is involving trying to catch a dangerous person. <laughs> yeah, and then Kiyoshi's like, "Well, what was it like when you guys were going to the Northern Water Tribe?" And Rangi was like, "She was comatose. <laughs> she wasn't awake. <laughs> this is different." yeah that was that was actually kind of funny um but she's just happy to see rongi back to kind of acting somewhat normally mm-hmm. and she just picks her up by the waist just rolls her around like i'm so i'm cute. trying to imagine this because of the severe height difference oh god that'd be so easy <laughs> it's like her Roll throwing around like a rag doll like <laughs> still very cute though yes it's very cute <laughs> And then enter the town where Kiyoshi notices similarities between it and Yokoya with the squalor of the area, contrary to the common images and associations with the Fire Nation and its prosperity. Heron tells them to do some reconnaissance, and they're looking for a man named Nayahitha, which I believe is the correct pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He is from the Banti tribe, but prefers to keep that hidden, which I'm sure that that will come up again later. It's a secret tool. It's going to help us later. Uh Kyoshi notices that Rangi is still irritated as they walk through the town and asks her why she didn't want to come to North Chungling. Uh, apparently, this town is home to carnivals and false spirituality, and whatever visions people are seeing is just tourists unwilling to admit that they've been scammed out of their money. Mm. And then she points out that the town should not be this run down and must be affected by the harvest that Zoryu was talking about. I, honestly, that kind of reminds me a little bit of how like the spirit the spirit festival in the Southern Water Tribe, like kind of that same attitude with it. Yeah, yeah. Of, like in in Korra, you know what I'm talking about, right? They they I mean they some people blame the the crops for you know because of the angry spirits, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah, very similar. Um, Kiyoshi then notices that there's fresh banners with the winged peony sig- you know signal or symbol of the Kaoso clan. And asks if North Chungling has been controlled by that clan. Rangi points out that they do have strong the strongest influence, but most of the supplies are just try it from locals trying to get business. Um, Kiyoshi realizes that she doesn't know exactly what clan, you know, clan Rangi is from. And this is a particularly interesting bit of character, you know, development here. Uh-huh. When Rangi points out that like she's from a very small clan, from a very small island that's sometimes even not included on the maps of the Fire Nation that are made in the Earth Kingdom. Mm. Because they don't have a lot of influence and they mostly work as bodyguards and teachers and soldiers because if they aren't the best at what they do, then they are nothing. Mm. And that just explains so much about Rangi right there. And also yes. like so much about like, especially with what uh Heyron had said to her the chapter before about how her family's honor rests with her now. Like yeah. I just, I mean, I don't know. It's like maybe it makes a small sense detail, now. but it makes so much more sense. Yeah. 
Heron's just going through the stalls, just sniffing the air. She's like slipping to places where she probably shouldn't be, like going in between tables and things like that. And Rogi's like, okay, what are you doing? Like, what, why, are you, why are you sniffing so much? Like, it, everything smells bad. I know. She's like, no, I'm looking for something that doesn't smell like anything. Yeah. And I'm trying to see if I get any dizzier, any dizzier which I'm like, what's going on here? What, 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 you, what you literally sniffing out here? <laughs> um, they then reach a very large and stained and flammable tent with a uh, sign outdoors saying, Spirit Visions of the Future. And the vendor asks them this very auction barker voice if they want to see their future. And Hayrod's essentially like, cut the shit. We've got stuff to do. I've got Kirk to be reincarnation here. Let's talk. Yeah. Like, gets right to the business. And he just, like, loses, like, all of his, like, you know, Barker enthusiasm like that. Yeah, Kiyoshi also, like, notes how how she loathes when people describe her as Kirk's reincarnation. Yeah. As if Kirk has any... Uh any say in like what she does or who she's become. Yeah, exactly. I would understand that. I'd be like, no, I'm my own person. You I'm know? not affiliated with that. Okay. I'm not affiliated with that. <laughs> not affiliated with me. We at Avatar Kiyoshi LLC do not support Avatar Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Kiyoshi notices that he's wearing essentially a dollar store version of the Fire Sages ceremonial outfit and the tent is mostly empty. Him and Hayron essentially have an angry staring contest because clearly they don't like each other. He's giving me, he's giving me very um the guy from the Painted Lady episode that switches the hats. Little, yeah, exactly. That's, what they... that's that's what he's giving me. Very much that. I get that. Um, say he says like uh oh it's like oh by the way I think you're I think that this I think that she doesn't like me because she thinks that I've ruined him but I think you guys ruined Kurok. Um, and like. You know, after they offered tea, uh, you know, they just like basically they go back and forth. Like, no, you ruined him. No, you ruined him. And you know, she's like, Jesus Christ, can you stop making excuses for this guy? I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. That's what I was thinking. I was like, why is why is everyone talking about Kurik like he's like this like three year old toddler that is like so impressionable? And if you don't raise him correctly, like you complete like he's made his own decisions. You know, like I was completely with Kiyoshi. I was like, yeah, you better tell him. You're completely yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. After they get tea, Rongi notices that it's cold, to which he replies that fires are forbidden there and not to create any heat. Because as it turns out, the island is built over a deposit of flammable vapor, and if too much gets out in one place, a single spark can cause an explosion. I'm going to call that one a foreshadowing. <laughs> that is like the most blatant uh, blatant foreshadowing thing. It's like Chekhov's gun yeah. kind of thing. Like, it's going to go off. Something's going to happen. Chekhov's gas leak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes isn't this is also exactly what happened in the the episode from season one of Av- avatar when they go to the northern air temple it's like pretty much the same thing isn't it yeah actually yeah i didn't even think yeah. of that interesting um and then heron tells him oh well if you control the flow of the vapors they become useful so a secret tool that's going to help us later like <laughs> this reminds me of um of uh like shows that involve like teenagers of of any sort and it's like every time there's a scene of them in a classroom and they're talking about something that's a secret tool that'll help us later you know so basically the entire harry potter series (laughs) harry potter series uh yeah 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 it's one of those notable examples um wrongy then calls this guy a fraud and he's like yes and like what about it and what about it yeah i am a scam (laughs) like uh she then gets some backstory to Nayahitha. Apparently, he actually was a fire sage once upon a time, as uh, Heron had said. And he was actually next in line for getting a major promotion to a high sage position. But the Sayawan clan had intervened, and he did not get that position. 
Um, Kiyoshi then in turn explains the plot of Rise of Kiyoshi and talks about Father Glowworm. Gives <laughs> him the spark notes, yeah. Gives him the spark notes of what happened. Uh, this talks about how Kurok had fought many spirits, but Father Glowworm was one of the worst. And Kurok never managed to truly defeat him. And now the spirit has been doomed to suffer in the physical world. And apparently just about everyone Kirk would tell about the spirit or learn of its existence would be cursed. So. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And Rangi is just not with the superstition here. But Nihit is like, well, I believe it because my life sucks now. I used to be a sage and now I'm a con man. Like this, it exists. Not, and like, he, yeah, yeah. And that Kirk and Jinju both met bad ends because of that spirit. After discussing the curse, Nihitha wants to know if Gun had any strange features or animal-like body parts. And she tells him that she did not see something like that, but he had frightened everybody around him. Just bad juju. Well, and also uh, his hand, too. And his hand, that's right. She, but she, she didn't, yeah. but I, I guess she did, She didn't notice it. But it keeps, it always mentioned, like, Yun's hand yeah. looking very weird. While Nihitha hasn't diagnosed a possession, it is possible that Yun could have a spirit's essence in him. Um, she then Which is not if, the same as possession, I guess. I guess, yeah, like a spirit's essence. Like, what does that mean? Like, is it a merge? Is it like you know, did, like, is he referring to the merge that they did in the beginning in the prologue of the Shadow Kyoshi? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, and she asks him if Father Glowworm has any weaknesses, but he doesn't seem to have that kind of information. She then tells her to meet him an hour before twilight and warns her not to inhale the vapors. They then go outside and see that suddenly the conflict, there's just like, now conflict is starting to brew as soon as they arrive there because ding dong, the Seiyuan clan has arrived. And Kiyoshi is just like, she's thinking about what Rangi said about how she always ran headfirst into danger and decides to watch shit go down. Yeah. Uh, clearly the stall vendors aren't happy to see the Seiyuan clan there and they gather behind Sanshur Keoso, the town's cotton merchant and major sponsor of the fair. Um, and then this, then they introduce the Seiwan clan's major player, which is Lady Huaso, who reveals herself in all of her finery. They have a tense conversation where, you know, Huaso says that she is, she essentially bought the fairgrounds and claimed the territory for the Seiwan clan. Shit. Hmm. Uh, Heiron notices that Chaejin Chai like probably sent a message her hawk to the clan, and they run out to try to, like, she, she and Rangi run out to try to diffuse tension between the two. Naihita tells Kiyoshi to go with them, and she tries to alter the trajectory of the stones aimed at Huaso's back by the members of the, Keo- the, the Keoso clan. Was it? So, sorry, I got confused. So was it? Yeah. Was it? Uh, who altered the trajectory of the stones? I think was- it was Kiyoshi trying to do it. Oh, Kiyoshi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I thought I thought it said I thought it was saying that Lady Huaso did it, and I'm like, wait, is she an earth- Earthbender? I was confused. Yeah. No, I think it was Kiyoshi. Anyway. Um, once they see Heron using her, like Heron tries to use her status and her connection to Huazo, um, the Seiyuan guards start to relax a little bit. And the leader of the Seiyuan clan is happy to see her, but then she notices Heron's severed top knot, and Heron's like, shit, that was probably not the time to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. However, her s- surprise turns into pity as she sees, if, as she asks if anything, if the, any, like the reason why she cut off her top knot was, had, had anything to do with the palace. And Heron's like, yep, but there's also more reasons for it. But then apparently that dishonor won't even impact their friendship because Huazo gives her a hug. But she starts stroking Heron's hair like a kid or a pet. And Kyoshi originally is like, oh, maybe they're not all bad. And then as soon as Huazo starts doing it, she's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. She notices, then Huazo notices that Kyoshi is there. And Kyoshi tells her to let Cheijin know that he makes a good fire sage and nothing more. Mm. Shade. Shade of it all. 
Kawasa then un- understands exactly what she's saying, does not seem worried that she would defend Zoryu over Jajin. Rangi then notices an old school friend in the ranks of the guards and gives her a hug, you know, runs to greet her, very happy to see her, apparently, which we find out she's not, really, but good acting. Um, after the, you know, dealing with the Hwaso clan, and sorry, not the Hwaso, Jesus Christ, the Seowon clan, uh, Sansha thanks them for stepping in and essentially pledges that they have the her, like, they all have her back against the Seowon clan. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to find Achuat and Jimpa, and Achuat's been gambling away their savings for... <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh my God, Achuat's like becoming my favorite character. <laughs> she just has like these little moments that just crack me up. Rongi walks ahead of the group and she's pissed. Uh, Kyoshi then to go comfort her girlfriend, tells her, well, at least, you know, some Seiwans aren't that bad. It was, must have been good to see an old school friend from school. By the way, that person was uh, Huazo's niece that, would, that Kyoshi talked to. Um, and then Rongi's like, nope, school actually sucked. Um, like, I had to deal with a lot of, like, people yeah. talking shit about me behind my back, about, particularly involving my mother, and I couldn't do shit about it because my mother was the headmistress. Um, and just put on a good, and, you know, uh, Kulin was definitely one of the worst of them, the worst offenders. So she put on a good face, uh, and basically just Rangi says that, yeah, the Academy shaped me, but I'm really glad to be away from that and finding my true purpose. And that's working with you. Like, that's cute, man. And then Kyoshi even says, has another romantic line about how she's happy to learn more about Rangi, good and bad. And she resists the urge to kiss her on the top of her head, which like, mm-hmm. <sighs> sorry, I have to. I have to put all the all the cute shit in this book. I'm sorry. It's just going to be an important thing to me. <laughs> um, Rongi's explaining the decorations as they're walking down the rest of the carnival. Um, and everything's great until they find some men beating up a young person. After they, you know, they break up the fight, they find out the reason for the beating was that the victim was putting up a Carmelia banner hoping to get some business because the say one clan's in town and taking over the area. The ringleader asks if it's more important for him... In, you know, important to him to get business uh, over the honor of his clans, and he's refusing to let any of his relatives flatter the Seowon clan. So basically, North Chungling is not just a physical bomb with the gas, but a metaphorical one with the tension of the clans. Something, something, Chekhov's gone. That's what I put in the notes. <laughs> Chekhov's gas leak, Chekhov's gas <laughs> as leak, we're now yes. calling it. <laughs> and that concludes the last chapter of our episode. Damn, so much happened. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't think of a good finish for that because I'm just like, that's it. That concludes our recap. That concludes our recap for for today. That's it. There's just so much, so much happened. Like, and that's just, I think now like things are really starting to ramp up. I know we keep saying that every week, but it's going to get worse for everyone, isn't it? (laughs) For real, for real. Um, Yep. So let's move on to Fandom Corner. Uh, This is, is, is a. Pretty funny as it relates to uh, the news that we talked about earlier. So it's this scene um, in season three when Zuko has joined the group and Katara is, you know, is saying, like, if you fuck up, like, I will not hesitate to kill you. Basically is what she's saying. But with some minor adjustments, um, Zuko is Netflix in this instance and Katara is the fandom. And it reads from Katara slash fandom, you might have everyone else buying your transformation, but you and I both know that you've struggled with live adaptations in the past. So let me tell you something right now. You make one step backwards, one slip up, give me one reason to think you might ruin Avatar and you won't have to worry about your ratings anymore because I'll make sure your show ends right then and there permanently. (laughs) Like specifically talking about the casting. Yeah. I had this. I had a different fandom corner in mind until I saw that on Facebook. I'm like, we have to put this in there. This is <laughs> so funny, especially with the news. 
Yeah. Uh, it's perfect. Props, props to whoever whoever came up with this. this is very good seriously also very clean edits on like the photo too with like the adding the netflix thing over like you know just like i don't know this is like a lot of folks have a hard i mean myself included have a hard time editing these things yeah. to make it like fit what you're trying to say so nice job on the person who did this i don't know who did it but great job it was robert um <laughs> no it wasn't it was not him yeah. he would send it to me if it did <laughs> all right and that concludes our fandom corner for the week. If you guys find anything out there on the interwebs you'd like us to react to in our fandom corner, make sure to send us o- send it over to us over our DMs, which we'll give that information in a little bit. Um, let's move on into more recommendations for the week. Um, my recommendations, to, uh, because I don't like coffee that much, and I don't really like tea either. However, I need caffeine. So I just, uh, my recommendation, if you're not really a coffee fan, but you need a little caffeine boost, uh, if you're going on like a long car ride or you just didn't get a lot of sleep the night before and you have to do your thing the next day, uh, I get like these mocha frappuccino like bottles from like sheets. You can also get them at Sam's Club and those big packs of them. Um, And they work. It's like, you know, I get the caffeine I needed, but I don't hate it when I'm drinking it. So that's what I recommend if you need caffeine, but you don't like coffee. Awesome. Like watered down coffee, essentially. <laughs> yum. As someone who loves coffee, yum. <laughs> I really I really have a hard time with iced coffee. I don't know what it is. I know that I, I take away my gay card, but I don't really enjoy iced coffee. I think it's because it reminds me of um of coffee of like hot coffee that's been left out and now it's cold. It's that is what that's what it's giving me. And I I don't like it. I've tried several times. Every time I say that, people are like, oh, you just haven't had the right iced coffee. It's like with alcohol. I say, I say, I don't really like alcohol. It's like, oh, but you just haven't had the right drink. And I'm like, no, I don't like alcohol. Yeah, I need to do why. So that makes it feel better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, my recommendation is uh, the What If series that just premiered on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the first episode uh, is obviously a Marvel show. First episode was doing the What If, you know, uh, Peggy Carter was uh, Captain America or Captain Carter in this case instead of Steve Rogers. And it's really cool. Um, I went through the whole episode thinking that Chris Evans was actually voicing Steve Rogers, but it, it actually wasn't. Uh, it was actually this other person and they did actually a, a, a pretty good job um, really good impression of him. <laughs> yeah, because I was I will ask confused because some of the original actors came back to voice. Uh, I think Peggy Carter um, is actually was, voiced by Haley Atwell. Atwell. Yeah, uh, Sebastian Stan was voiced uh, was voicing Bucky, um, and I believe uh, also uh, uh, Hawkeye and Nick Fury were also uh, voiced by um, their respective live action actors. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, Same scheduling or pay. <laughs> yeah, maybe or because I was just like I'm good. I don't want to do this again. I don't no. want to do Captain America anymore. So they go up and ask him, hey, Chris, you want to go be Captain America again? No, I don't think I will. I don't think I, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have, I, definitely... I have yet to watch it. But I feel like that episode was made for me because I had like before I came out to myself, like uh-huh. I had such a huge crush still do on Peggy Carter and the first Avenger. So like. I love her. She's beautiful. Like, I'm just going to make I'm just, I mean, tall, like a buff like buff peggy carter i don't know if my homosexual heart can handle it was it. giving me kiyoshi vibes honestly yay yeah because she was like towering over skinny steve and i was like oh my god it's giving me kiyoshi wrongy vibes step on me no yeah <laughs> exactly yeah but yeah oh i goodness. mean obviously if you're an mcu fan you're gonna be watching this anyway but i would also say this is a good in, uh entry point for someone who is like 
not well versed on Marvel, like maybe gets a little uh, overwhelmed by like how how much the interconnectedness works yeah. with Marvel. But I, this is a a good you know a good thing where you don't have to know absolutely everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly. I would definitely go check that out. Exactly. Well, if you all want to contribute to Fandom Corner, please send it over to the Avatar Hour Podcast on Facebook at the Avatar Hour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Avatar Hour on Twitter. And Fandom Corner can range from anything between funny memes, theories, shit posts, basically anything that can spark a conversation. Um, if you like what we've sent you, if, if we like what you've sent us, I should say, my goodness, if we like what you have sent us, you will also get a shout out on the podcast. So please head on over to our social media channels and send us your submissions. You want to see them. Yeah. You know, make us laugh, make us cry. We want to, you know, but you know, we just want to, we want to feel things and talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. But as always, if you would like to get some extra avatar hour in your life, please subscribe to our exclusive Patreon at patreon.com slash the avatar hour podcast for some amazing benefits, including access to our show notes the ad-free avatar hour and of course our flagship benefit the after avatar after hour uh this most recent episode we went into more in-depth discussion of the recent news of the casting of uh the new netflix live action avatar series as well as albert kim's statement on the show and what sort of changes we might can we you know we may expect from the next series yep um so go check that out subscribe at our five dollar level to get that benefit Yes, absolutely. Also, just as a reminder for listeners, just because we are in full swing with season three does not mean our Google form, uh, our listener survey is closed. It is still very much open. If you still want to send in feedback and answer questions about how we're doing as hosts and maintaining the quality of the podcast, that uh, listener survey is still open. Uh, That will be linked in the show notes of today's episode and also in our link tree all of our social media. So if you are still interested in sending in feedback, it is still very much open. And also stick around later this week because we will be releasing an extra episode in the coming days. So make sure you are subscribed and followed wherever you get your episodes to make sure you do not miss it. Yeah, this next episode that we have, a special surprise episode, y'all are going to be really excited about this. I mean, we had such a great time putting it together. So um, can't wait for y'all to see it. And I should say, listen to it. But in the case of Patreon, you will see see it. it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in the next episode. Until then, my name's Kayla. And my name's Andre. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.